Hello and welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversations, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Remel Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallego. Welcome, Maria, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Remel. It's great to be with you today. Well, I do want to let you know up front that this is a very special episode for us because we are celebrating our 100th episode of Positively Podcast today, Positively Pro-Life Podcast today. So we want to thank all of our listeners and donors for making this happen. And we just want to ask you all to join us in celebrating this day. Now, it's amazing how many varied outreaches there are for pregnant mothers in difficult situations. And it always surprises me that not many people are aware of mothers who have few means to support themselves and their children. They provide free room and board, meals, as well as childcare, so the mothers can go on to pursue their higher education and learn the skills they need to support themselves. I don't want to give away too much of their work as we'll be hearing directly from their executive director in a short while. So let's get on with it with a legislative update. And I'm happy to say that this is from the National Right to Life organization, their news release. A measure pretending to revive the long expired Equal Rights Amendment failed in the US Senate, falling nine votes short of the level of support necessary to allow it to advance to the House of Representatives, where it would have died anyway. The vote to advance SJ Resolution 4 was 51 to 47, with 60 votes required. While some ERA true believers will assert that the vote was a mystical victory for the ERA, they further delude themselves, said Douglas Johnson, director of the ERA project of the National Right to Life Committee. ERA revival advocates continue to deflect news media attention away from the fact that the federal courts have consistently rejected legal claims that the 1972 Equal Rights Amendment remains viable. The most recent such ruling was by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia on February 28, rejecting the claim of Illinois and Nevada that the ERA has been ratified. A unanimous ruling by a panel made up of judges appointed by Presidents Obama, Biden, and Trump. Johnson also noted that a White House State of Administration policy issued on SJ Resolution 4 conspicuously avoided language asserting that the resolution would have a legal effect, but instead merely observed that the resolution would declare the ERA to be part of the Constitution. Every time the issue has been litigated in federal court, most recently in 2021, the pro-ERA side has lost, no matter whether the judge was appointed by a Democrat or a Republican, wrote the Washington Post fact checker in February 2022, awarding four Pinocchios to claims by then Representative Carolyn Maloney of New York that the archivist was obligated to certify the ERA as part of the Constitution. Remmel, do we have you back now to do an inspirational segment? Yes, I am back. I do not know what happened there, but here I am. 
We know that May means Mother's Day, and there are lots of people who have already started celebrating it. Um, so in honor of that, I just want to kickstart this month with a beautiful little um, message that I came across on social media. So this is from May 1st, 2016. So it's a few years old, but it's so relevant. And this is a post um, on Humans of New York. Now, this is a, a woman who, who shared uh, about motherhood. And it says, I just had a son. I imagined stress, no sleep, and total confusion over what to do. I thought I'd be so tired that I'd be unable to form sentences at work. And there have been instances of that. I've left the house a few times without my wallet or cell phone. I've been late to a few meetings. Recently, I woke up on an empty train. But overall, it's been absolutely phenomenal and the most fun I've ever had. He's incredibly happy all the time. He smiles all day. It's insane. You should see him laugh. I almost peed my pants the first time he laughed. And I'm sleeping less, but I'm choosing to sleep less. I set my alarm for 5 a.m. So that, so that I can spend an extra hour with him before I go to work. Now, it is so simple, but I think it is so relevant because a lot of women of, are taught to fear motherhood as something that is restraining, as something that is going to take away something so natural and simple, um, like a, a simple luxury of sleep or, or of having your your mind active and alive um, for work and things like that. But then you see that motherhood also has such joy. Um, the And that is something that a lot of women don't get to hear nowadays. So I just want to uh, kickstart this month, uh, this Mother's Day month, um, I mean, the month that we celebrate Mother's Day with this beautiful message about how incredibly beautiful parenting and mothering can be. So that's our inspiration for today. And now we will move on to our interview with our guest. Debbie Capen is the executive director of Miravia, and she is here to talk with us about the wonderful work done at Miravia, an on-campus home for pregnant students where they can live and learn with each other. Debbie Capen has been a pro-life activist and leader for more than 20 years, and compelled by the tragedy of her own abortion experience in college, she now serves as the executive director of Miravia the nation's largest campus-based residential program for pregnant college students. Since opening the doors of its residence at Belmont Abbey College, Miravia has gained national attention for its innovative services that empower pregnant students to embrace life while completing their higher education. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. We really appreciate it. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say um, I know someone at Belmont Abbey College, um, the, um, the president. Uh, I used to serve with him on the Chastity Formation Committee for the Diocese of Harrisburg. And so um, that's a wonderful connection that I have with that great institution. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about um, your organization and how it came to be. Yes, thank you. Well, it started in 1994. Um, it was founded by a small group of people concerned that there weren't enough resources for pregnant women in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it started as a traditional maternity home. 
And over the years, the program was growing and evolving and they were doing some long range planning and deciding, you know, where, where should we focus? And at that time, there was a study put out by um, Feminists for Life called Perception as Reality um, that showed that college students, even if there were resources, they didn't know how to find them. So they felt like there were no resources for them. And through divine providence also, um, the abbot of Belmont Abbey um, happened to meet some board members of the organization and without prompting asked them if you know, weren't the majority of the women they served college age. And when they confirmed that, he said, well, you know, if you ever want to serve college students, my brother monks and I um, would donate the land and, and welcome you. And so we transitioned, um, we, we um, transitioned the original maternity home into an outreach center, which is now a program that serves hundreds and hundreds of women every year and then built the facility at Belmont Abbey College, which opened in 2013, um, and has now served women from nine different states and 12 different colleges where they can come and you know, find an oasis in a, in a culture that's telling them that they can't have it all. They can't have the higher education and the child. Um, and you know, God bless Belmont Abbey for welcoming us there. We have this beautiful partnership with them um, to, to not only help the women that we serve and the children that we serve, but to prove that it's possible, right? And so here we are. <laughs> so you have a residential program for pregnant mothers. And I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about the women that come to you? Uh, are they usually abortion-minded? Have they made up their mind about keeping the baby? Um, yeah, it has really, it has run the full gamut. Um, I would say that the main uh, common denominator is fear. You know, there's so much um, weighing on them that they don't know what they're going to do. And our clients have ranged, literally, we had a client that was turned, you know, at the abortion clinic and um, in Washington, D.C., and someone there had also met Dr. Thierfelder, the president of Belmont Abbey College, you mentioned Maria, and remembered yes. about Maravia. And a small pro-life group there in DC put the money together to fly her to uh, Miravia, come and tour, uh, talk to the admissions counselors at Belmont Abbey. And she went from having, you know, both of her parents were in homeless shelters. And so she went from literally, you know, trying to walk through the doors of an abortion clinic to graduating with a four-year degree, the first in her family to do so. Um, and so then there's the stories too of the families that, you know, are sitting next to you in, in your pews or, you know, your co-workers' children. They really are every young woman that, that you know. And, but the common denominator is that they are in college, they're fearful, they don't know what to do. And so we're there to provide that turnkey solution, everything that they need to be able to cast those fears away, embrace life, and stay on that course that they were already on towards higher education. So can you tell us what kind of support can you provide to these pregnant women? Yeah, so at our facility, um, we it's a beautiful facility. I encourage everyone to go and check us out online and look at the pictures. Um, every young woman has their own private suite with their own bathroom, their own kitchenette. Um, they stay with us until uh, their child turns two years old. All of this is free to them. We're providing case management support. They, we, they meet weekly with a case manager. We provide referrals for medical and mental health. 
Um, and we provide the childcare. We provide if they need, you know, if, if they need clothes, you know, whatever they need, our um, supporters in the community provide that to them. Um, and number one to them too is just not feeling marginalized, that they get to live in community with other young women going through the same thing that they are, that they get to feel normal, right? And, and the campus has embraced them. Like, that's the beautiful thing is to see that, um, you know, when was the last time you saw a pregnant college student on a campus? It, it's, it's like sighting a unicorn, you know, they just, and so when people feel embraced and we can provide that to them, we can create that, that supportive environment, friendly environment, um, then it's what they need. And so they can, they receive all of this through the generosity of the community um, and we have 24 hour staff there to support them. You know, moms have a lot of questions and a lot of needs. And so we have a very professional staff um, that, that are there to, to guide them, help them and, and just be that village that they need. That's amazing. Um, I, did, I did go on your website and watch the video, um, videos that you have there. And I, and I remember one of the testimonies of a woman was that she had her friends who would come and babysit her baby every once in a while. So, the, so it, it does sound like the whole college. It's not just your organization, but the whole college is galvanized to come and support. Um, now, I was wondering also, um, is there any kind of support that you also provide the dads? Are they in the picture? Um, are they involved? Again, they every situation is so unique. And so we have seen it all with dads who are completely uninvolved to dads who are very involved. And we want that. If there is a good, healthy relationship there and the dads want to be involved, we love welcoming them, welcoming them to be a part of the plan. And so, you know, it can look like a, a hundred different things as far as what that plan is, but um, they're always welcome to come and visit um, and, you know, and during the day and be a part of the, you know, the daily life. Um, and then also, you know, there's examples of, we had, for instance, a young man who was a, a college student and his, his girlfriend was out of state. She got pregnant um, and they had joint custody. So we helped to kind of prep him for that. And whenever he had custody of the baby, he would bring the baby over and we would help, you know, and um, so there's that direct support for dads. And then to me, it's also a support that even then the dads don't feel pressure to do something they shouldn't do. You know, if they know that we're there to support the mother of their child and their, and their child, they can complete their degree or they don't pressure her into, you know, into an abortion. Um, so, you know, it's, it really is, and it's to the whole family, right? Like babies make great peacemakers. We've seen families that are about to fall apart over this unexpected pregnancy. Um, but we're there to really serve the whole family. That's wonderful. Now, how do you respond to a woman who is fearful that she will not be able to complete her college education because of her pregnancy? I say, come and see, you know, the, the, um, the proof is right there. And whenever a young woman comes into our residence, you know, she can't picture it because there's not a lot of programs out there like what we do. So they have no frame of reference. But once they can come and see other students that they totally relate to, um, living and learning and thriving, and also the outcomes, you know, our moms are in just about every profession you can think of now um, that have moved on. We have four that are graduating this May. 
Um, and so I think, you know, these young women and every young woman that has embraced life during college, these are the pioneers that are paving the way to make it easier for those that are coming behind them. Now, according to you, what does a young college woman who's unexpectedly pregnant, what does she need most? I would say that the number one thing is at that first reaction, she needs someone to help her unpack all of the fears. Um, that first news when either they're at the health clinic or they're looking at the two lines on, on a stick, um, that it's like opening a fire hose of fears that are blasting them. So everything from what are my parents going to think? What are, what's the father of the child going to say? Do I have to drop out of school? Do I have to, you know, stop playing sports? And so the number one thing that, that we provide is the pause button for them and to help them unpack those fears, understand that there are solutions um, and to not just immediately assume, you know, that quote unquote, your life is over, like some people would say. Um, and so once you can show them that through practical support, you know, that's what they need. They need the housing. They need the childcare. They need to not feel marginalized. Um, and so once you can satisfy those needs, then it's no longer a crisis pregnancy. What do you think is the biggest misconception about residential havens for pregnant women? You know, I think through television and media, I think some people immediately think of that, you know, nearly a century year old stereotype of maternity wards, you know, that, you know, are sterile or gloomy. Um, and, and that's not us at all. That's not the modern day, you know, residential program for college, you know, for, for women at all. And, you know, there's also the misperception that it's only about giving birth and then not supporting after the baby's born. Um, and that's why we are committed to creating this long runway that they need to get everything in order to be able to take off and fly on their own and be independent. Um, so I, I think that, you know, those misperceptions that it's about hiding away, you know, as well. It's not, you know, most of, you know, so many of our moms are super proud, you know, that they came through Miravia. I consider it kind of like a Miravia mommy academy, you know, and they're, they're proud of that. And I, I think that's a misconception too, that there's some shame factor to it when that's not the case at all. Yeah, could you, I mean, you've de clearly developed a very beautiful uh, model to help women um, walking with, de with them. So can you tell us a little bit more about what sets this kind of model of care apart from other kinds of pregnancy care centers? Yeah, there's, there's so many things, but I guess I would say that the top three would be, you know, number one, our partnership with the college, our partnership with Belmont Abbey, that it's um, integrated into their campus. You know, we're right there. Um, people don't feel isolated or separated from their peers. Um, the amazing generosity of the school too provides tuition assistance for moms that choose to transfer to Belmont Abbey. I'd say that that's really a unique thing that's offered as well. Um, the long-term factor, I would say, would be the second thing that it's it's not just during the pregnancy, it's not just for a few weeks after birth, that they can stay with us for two years. And we would make it even longer than that, but our state has certain regulations around housing, maternity, housing pregnant women, and how long they can stay. Um, but we definitely take advantage of that time to help them have a great plan in place for, for when they do transition out. Um, and then finally, I'd say that we can accept students from any school. 
you know, it's not just Belmont Abbey. We've had uh, students at, you know, um, two-year programs, firefighter school, beauty school, all the way up through master's level students. Um, so it's that common den denominator being in school um, where we, we love that we can create this space for them. Can you tell us about your volunteers and your staff? Yeah, they really are the, the heart of the mission, our, our staff and our volunteers. Um, we could not do it without them. And, and not a single one of our staff sees it as a job. You, you know, it's not a paycheck to them. They are coming because they believe in the mission. You know, many of them have walked in their shoes. In fact, we have two of our staff that were former residents and they have chosen to come back and mentor and inspire those that, that are coming behind them. Um, and the volunteers, oh my gosh, you know, they, they range from, you have married couples who come in and volunteer together to college students that, that come in after class and help to, to community groups that come. And as any nonprofit knows, you really could not have a mission uh, successful without great volunteers and awesome staff. Yeah. Um, well, clearly this is also very personal to you. So could you tell us what led you to commit your life uh, to helping women in crisis pregnancies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I was in college as a freshman, um, the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year, um, I found out I was pregnant, you know, and on a personal note, you know, I had drifted away from my faith. I had gotten sucked into that college culture. Um, and, you know, I was 18 years old. Um, and my mom was, had been widowed, you know, and so I felt all of this pressure to, to not disappoint her, you know, and, um, so it was, I found out shortly before sophomore year started. So one of the first things that I did when I got back to school was I went right to the health center. And at that age, you know, I thought I was an adult at 18. Now that I have children that age, I'm like, oh no, I'm not as mature as I remember I thought I was. Um, and so I went to the adults, right? I went to, to campus and asked for a pregnancy test. And the woman behind the counter just said, well, if you've already taken one, you know, did, did you already take one? I said, yes, I did. And she said, well, then there's nothing we can really do for you. You're, you are pregnant. Um, you don't need a test from us to tell you that. And I just stood there and it was kind of in shock. Like, is this really the end of the conversation? And she finally said, well, do you want to talk to someone? I said, yes, please. But they did not even register me in. Like they just had someone come out to the waiting room and sit with me and ask me, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I don't know, you know? And I said, y you know, I guess I could look at abortion. I know, you know, I don't know, you know? And she said immediately, oh, yeah, just look it up in the yellow pages. It's safe. It's legal. It's fine. You know, you'll be you'll be great. It'll be fine. And so at that time, no one once said, hey, you can do this. And so I believed all the lies. I believed all the fears. And sadly, you know, I crumbled to that, that pressure and that fear. Um, and so, you know, I went on with my life and then realized it, it was just this unbearable grief and guilt and that I, that I felt. And as I came back to my personal faith, I realized that I couldn't reconcile it. Like I had, I had done something that I could not live with. And so through divine mercy and God, you know, God's healing, you know, I was able to, to really focus my attention on, okay, how can I prevent this tragedy for another baby and another mom? 
And I was at the banquet for the organization I work for now when they announced this change, the shift to serving college students. And I remember I literally wanted to jump out of my chair, like old school style as hell, hallelujah, amen. You know, like, like I was ready to, I was ready to go up on stage and throw myself right into it. Um, but instead I, you know, I, I, I was, I just called the next week and said, what can I do to help? Because I believe in this. And so eventually I, I began to work for the organization and it's just been such a blessing to see that when we do provide a choice, that people a choice for life, that that young women are are so eager to embrace it. And you know, talk about redemption. I've now been back on multiple occasions to talk to the health staff at the college that I went to, and now they carry our materials. Um, and it, what could be better than that, right? Oh, wow. Absolutely. I think that uh, your example is so inspirational to people um, taking a tragedy in your life, that that abortion and um, healing and giving hope to other people, other women who face challenging circumstances in their pregnancies. And so I salute you for your your courage and your conviction and uh, what you do for these pregnant women. It's it's just remarkable. It's it's a totally you know God's organization and program, and you know it is it is amazing to see all that's happened. I, I always say it's like the old movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come, and and that that has definitely been the case. You know, <laughs> we've got less than two minutes left, and I'm wondering is your organization unique or are there similar organizations around the country? Yeah, that's what's wonderful to see is that this is beginning to take hold in other areas. um, The main three that come to mind, I know of um, the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota now has student housing for pregnant students and their children. Um, There's a wonderful program at the College of St. Mary in Omaha, Nebraska called Mothers Living and Learning. There is an organization called Baby Steps. It has a a house near the campus of Auburn University. Um, So that's our hope that, you know, and and us personally, we would love to franchise, right? We would love to be like a Newman Center on college campuses. You know, if they can outsource their dining services, they could outsource, you know, their their programs for pregnant students. So so that's, that's the dream. That's the dream. Debbie, thank you so much for being with us today, the Executive Director of Miravia, talking to us about the wonderful work that's done at an on-campus home for pregnant students where they can live and learn with each other. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you both. This was wonderful. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with nearly 40 local county-based chapters. Thank you for joining us, and remember there's always a reason to choose life.